there. You're listening to the Northern Logger Podcast, a production of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor Magazine. Today we are joined by Dr. Stephen Bick, who is among many other things, a forest economist and the founder of the Vermont Forest Business School, also known as FBS. Thanks to a rural business development grant, Steve Bick and the Northeastern Loggers Association are teaming up to provide a free session of this established program to eligible business owners. We'll hear more details about that from Steve, and later in the podcast, he'll share a recorded alumni session of FBS. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's nice to finally meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for coming. I believe many of our readers and our listeners know you. You've been very involved with the magazine and the Northeastern Loggers Association. You're a frequent contributor. You're also a writer, written a few books, including Forest Enterprises of the Adirondacks and Continuous Improvement in Logging. For our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us a little about yourself? And your background? Sure, I'll I'll try. I think of myself still as a forester, and you know that's that's been my training. I'm actually, more of a specialist in that I'm a forest economist. But I've done a lot of garden variety forestry work over the years, and I've been fortunate in that I live or have lived in the same town as the Northeastern Loggers Association for close to 35 years now. So it's allowed me to be involved and to meet a lot of people from all over the region that are involved in this uh, terrific industry. So what exactly is the Vermont Forest Business School? Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So the Vermont Forest Business School came as an extension of work I had done in continuing education. Starting back in 1996, I had the opportunity thanks to uh, George Mitchell and Mona Lincoln from your organization, to do some continuing ed workshops. And I, I did those for a while, probably for about 10 years before I was any good at it. And at some point, I started to think there should be more to this. And I still don't think that the approach some folks use to logger education, to putting them in a group and, and making them trade their time for credits is the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought we in the education end of things have an obligation if we're, we're going to require people to keep coming to classes to, to offer them something they can help in their work. So, so what I found was, and uh, you know, if I did a workshop and 20 people showed up, there were probably four of them that really wanted to be there and really wanted more. And I felt like I could help them more if I had more ongoing involvement with them. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of the start of the idea. And then at some point, you know, in the middle of my career, I thought, you know, I'm good at what I do, or at least I think I am. Shouldn't there be more reward for this? And that's when I focused on on improving my business and delving into topics that would continuous improvement, project management, more in the finances, things that would help me do better. So I spent time on that. About that time, I had an opportunity in Vermont to start doing some one-on-one consulting with businesses in the forestry sector there, you know, working with the Vermont Housing and Conservation Board and their forest viability program, working with UVM Extension and others. So that kind of got my foot in the door over there. And mm-hmm. at some point, you know, I was ready to, to start this forest business school program as something that would allow mid-career people to to meet remotely and work on things that would help them 
be better at the business side of their job because you know everybody's good at their work or or you know any everybody that's stayed in business got good at doing the day to day things and producing, mm-hmm. but you know were they being rewarded for that and that's that's not always the case. I was particularly right. fortunate that in Vermont uh, they really support the working landscape, so the Working Lands Enterprise Initiative under the Agency of Agriculture, is the entity that does this. And this was run at the time. So this is going back to about 2019 when the school was going to, I was hoping to get the school off the ground. It was run Mm -hmm. by Lynn Ellen Schmoller. And Lynn Ellen is now with Vermont Land Trust. But she was just a terrific supporter, encouraged me to to apply to the program as a service provider for funding, very supportive. You know, one of the best people I've, I've worked with anywhere. And so I had an opportunity to do a pilot version of the program, recruit some people in Vermont. That went well. I, I thought it went well. People got a lot out of it, got extended uh, for another year of funding, and then decided to try and do it regionally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I reached out last year. I had a Vermont session and then this regional session that really modest funding. I had a little bit of support from Finch Paper and from Bailey Lumber and from Egger, which is another forest products company. And I put that one okay. on. and. That group in particular really clicked, being from all over, and were very supportive of one another. We, as in Joe Fanoff and Northeastern Loggers Association, and I applied to USDA Rural Development. It looks like we have funding for another regional session. We're doing one in Vermont. We're going to be starting mm-hmm. pretty soon. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Those are filling up fast. There might be one or two slots still available. Okay. And, and this isn't just for loggers. This is for people that are somehow connected to the forestry communities, mm-hmm. mid-career small business owners in, in mm-hmm. particular. Now, uh, do you have to own your own business in order to participate? No. The, the, the core of the group typically is that, but I usually have one or two people who are on the verge of starting a business. We've had a couple mm-hmm. launches come out of the program, which is great, and uh, sometimes key employees. Okay. And and I've even had one or two public sector employees because I like the perspective that they bring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the topics we cover would help any productive person be better at what they do. You know, a well-rounded group makes for a great experience for everyone. That sounds very exciting. And how do you conduct the classes? Are they all online? Yeah, for for the most part, we're online. We do try to get together. The regional group was able to meet each other in person at the Expo in Essex Junction in the spring. But uh-huh. we meet once a week to talk about different audiobooks and podcasts on business-related topics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not a class in the sense that I don't lecture. I mean, I can go on and on, but really we <laughs> want to have a discussion, right? Right. So we talk about it and relate things to our work and, and do it that way. And then there's a lot of interaction that goes on between participants or one-on-one with me over the course of the week Mm -hmm. uh, between sessions because once you know I find what people's particular interests are I I tend to send them other resources or serve as a sounding board for them and you know just kind of help things help things move along Uh, Mm -hmm. there's always people that are reluctant to speak up in a group and then have an awful lot to text me about as soon as we're done. So, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it, it's, it, it makes for, for an interesting experience. <laughs> uh, and how long does the course last? So the program runs for about six months. You know, I don't have a set cutoff date because we're sort of flexible. We want to get through all the material, but it, it takes about six months to do that. There right. are times when, you know, we have to, you know, usually about the middle of February when the loggers in the group and occasionally we have some farmers 
when it looks like the days aren't quite long enough and they're pretty tired, we take a week off for that as we oh, do okay. on holidays. But So however long it takes, but it usually stretches into March if we, if we have an October start. So you would like to share one of your recorded sessions from earlier this year. Yes. In a few minutes on the podcast, we'll share that session of the Vermont Forest Business School with our listeners. And you recorded this on March 14th, 2022. Can you tell us a little bit about this particular session? And is it representative of a typical FBS workshop? Well, you, you know, Erin, it's not. So this is actually an alumni session. So what happens okay. is once people get through the program, we periodically will meet. I'll just send a note out to the group and say, hey, anyone who wants to talk about this book or this article or idea. And in this one is, is kind of much more lighthearted in that we're talking about a song. Molly Tuttle's song, the Crooked Tree song, had just come out. And the, the mm-hmm. I, I really like the lyrics for a couple of reasons. They might make for a good topic to talk about and see see where that would, would lead. As mm-hmm. it happens, back in July, I saw Molly Tuttle open for Old Crow Medicine Show. Oh, and right. I, yeah, wow. and so, and, and you know, she's just terrific. Right. But you cover a few different topics you know, in that session, like, um, you know, the perception of the logging industry in the area and, you know, what it's like to work for the man, so to speak, and compared to what it's like to work for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we talk about self-employment. We talk about labor because everyone talks about labor all the time yeah. because it, it's so short. Uh, the silvicultural aspects, you know, we talk about, I think, what Molly Tuttle may have gotten wrong. And I, I don't like to uh-huh. criticize her. I think she's a great musician. But what she got right, and, I, and, you know, so there's the forestry aspect of it. And there's that also that aspect of fitting in or not fitting in. Mm. And I think in this large forest products industry that's full of small businesses, where a lot of people are there because they didn't fit in somewhere else. They wanted mm. to do something on their own. So that, that part of it spoke to me as well. And I think, mm-hmm. too, uh, you know, it was a, a fairly small group, and, uh, and so we heard some good stories. So maybe that will relate to a lot of our listeners. <laughs> I hope so. I, th- I, th- I think it might. And so can you talk a little bit about the participants that joined the session? Sure. So, so these were all people that had been in my regional group. So locally, we had uh, John Levy from a, a well-known logging family here, oh, uh, right. here, you know, around Old Forge and Inlet. And, and Old he, Forge, New York is yes. where we're located yeah. right now. So so then we had uh, Jim Allen as a consulting forester I've been friends with for probably 25 years now over uh, in, in Fort Ann, right on the Vermont border. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Day is there. Steve Day is an interesting guy because I met him through Instagram, and he was just a, a terrific part of our last Forest Business School program. He's a uh-huh. logger in an area that there aren't many loggers. So so he, he was uh, he was in with us. And then Adam Ritchie, who has kind of done it all. Adam has cut trees in 17 different states, and you know the the Martin Melvilles of the world can probably top that, but that's that's pretty good. And now he and so he's got some varied experience. And then he works for Egger at a at a particle board plant doing uh, procurement in North Carolina. So mm-hmm. uh, Adam has a great story in here about buying his first skitter on eBay. And it's <laughs> worth listening to this uh, just to hear that. I think. <laughs> okay, nice. Where can people find more information about the FBS school and how can they apply? Well, they first they should look in the September issue 
of the Northern Lager because there's some <laughs> some things there. And yeah, also okay. at, at vtfbs.com. And, you know, I have one or two slots. So this is, uh, what are we, September 23rd today? Right. We're going to start mid-October. I have possibly one or two slots left in both the Vermont and regional session. But uh, application involves uh, getting in touch with me. You know, if you go to the website, it'll tell you how to do that. Okay. And we'll do a phone interview. But I'm, I'm really looking for those mid-career people that are, you know, good at what they do and want to get better at the business. Well, thanks very much, Steve. We'll put all that information in the show notes and include a link to the Molly Tuttle Crooked Tree song as well. So folks can listen to that and hear the lyrics. Yeah, I think it's a great song, but, the, you know, they can judge for themselves. <laughs> okay. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. At this point, we recommend that listeners pause this podcast and listen to the song on YouTube or read the lyrics online. Then when you come back, listen to the March 14th FBS Creators Workshop led by Steve Bick to get a flavor of what the course is like. Okay, so... This is supposed to be the Vermont Forest Business School Creators Workshop with special guests, but it's only the special guests that showed up. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you guys are here. So Jim Allen is here as a consulting forester. John Levy and Steve Day are loggers who are here, and I think Adam Ritchie's going to join us in a bit. He is a procurement manager at a at a um, chipboard plant in North Carolina. So. So I guess you guys listened to the song. What'd you think? I read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it sounds better when you listen to it, but it's still got some interesting stuff in there. It's yeah, definitely it's definitely interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we can talk about, we've come to the forestry aspects of it and whether or not we agree with Molly Tuttle. I was actually thinking about DMing her and say, hey, we're going to talk about your song, but I wasn't even sure anybody was going to show up tonight, so I didn't. I didn't do that. Um, but if you look past the, well, let's leave the trees for now. What about this idea of like, you know, if you're tall and straight, people pay attention to you and you're, you know, you're wanted. And if you're, uh, you're crooked, not perfect. They don't. Got a, lot more, a lot more meeting than, than just in the woods. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, are you a crooked tr tree, Steve Day? Uh, I'm six two six three, so I tend to. I think I'm tall and straight, but you're tall and straight. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, literal sense of being tall versus short and crooked. I, you definitely need to get. If you're going to be over six foot, I think you need to get used to being seen in a room, whether you want yeah. to be or not. Well, <laughs> while while that's true, I don't think you were. When I think of like um. A crooked tree won't fit in the mill machine. The mill machine, I started thinking about that as like uh, school. Yeah. And, and you know, like, okay, you know, and, and then I always go to another song, uh, another brick in the wall. All in all, yeah. you're just another brick in the wall. So, well, how about how about school for you, Steve? We had an interesting talk this week. Were you, were you the ideal student there? Or were you something else? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, not, I wasn't a good student, and I think, well, grade school doesn't count, but definitely was not what college wanted in in, a, in an ideal student, for sure. And, and um, yeah, but we, we have to remember, we're there for us. 
We're not there yeah. for, you know, and schools yeah. don't get this, I, I don't think. We're not there to make their life easier or to line up yeah. and do what we're told all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. John, you, are you the crooked tree in your family? I would say, say so. Yeah. Can you tilt your camera down just a little bit? I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm talking to you <laughs> top of your head. How's that? Yeah, much better. Thanks. Those mean screen that I'm perfect, but I can't tell in yours, so. Yeah, no, it's it it can be can be hard to tell, but uh, but um, at least three of us are self-employed, and and one of us is not uh, doesn't have a typical nine to five job, so um, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, so if we were straight and tall and perfect, we'd be I don't know have the quiet desperation to go into a nine to five job, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had a job for a while, Jim. Did it? It's it's at some point it made more sense to be your own boss, huh? Yeah, I mean, my when I worked for Northwinds, though, it wasn't. It was I was more like my own boss. I I set my own schedule. That was it was a totally different aspect, you know. I mean, it for them it was as long as you get the work done, we don't care, you know, when you get it done. We just need it done, you know. It wasn't a true like nine to five or eight, you know, seven to ten or you know whatever. I just I would go when I needed to be there, and if I didn't need to be there, I was I'd do something else. And as long as the work got done, they didn't care. Yeah, I I, I had the impression they were good people to work for, and and yeah, they that makes that that makes sense, particularly because you weren't you weren't part of the regular production crew, right? You were the forester, so right. It didn't it didn't really matter when you were there, as long as things were ready to go. Your part was ready when they needed to start on something. Yeah, and and for me, it was you know not only just doing the forestry, but when they when they started the firewood business and the pallet shop, you know, I kind of ran that and they bought a portable sawmill. So I did that as well. You know, that was kind of my gig. And so if, you know, as long as my forestry work was done, I'd run, I might have a custom saw order to do, or, you know, build some, you know, get the guys started building pallets that were there. And, you know, that was kind of just an all around thing. But again, if I had something to do with the kids or, you know, something to go, I just, I didn't have to ask. I just left. And as long as the work got done or I did it the next day, it didn't matter to them. So did you did you start working for yourself sort of out of necessity or like the, those guys stopped? Yeah, they they had a little bit of a a family fallout. So the two brothers and you know they kind of just didn't see I die, and so it was kind of a it was kind of a necessity. I I contemplated going to work for a company that I worked for right out of college, building and rebuilding paper mills. They were asking me to come back, and you know I I had you know, young kids at the time. So I didn't think that I really need, I needed to be home more than be on the road. So talk about not fitting inside the mill machine, right? Oh yeah. That would have been I mean, fitting I, in to, to I, do that. I did, love, I did love that work, but it was, it's, it's not the same. So Steve, you, you, you made it through school, go up to Paul Smith's. I take it. You liked it up there. I love Paul Smith's. Yeah. So you got out and at what point did you start working for yourself? Um, almost right off the bat, I had, uh, you know, I did sort of two degrees when I was up there. I did a forest tech and then urban tree management associates, which I never really finished. Um, but when I did my urban tree, I, I one or no, two summers I had worked for a company in Rhinebeck climbing trees. like my first semester out of school. And then after that, I went, I started cutting wood just cause that he was, his company was sort of falling apart. So um, yeah, 20, 
2008, I think I started my business. 2009 would have been my first real year as an independent sort of contractor. So could you could you ever go back to working for somebody, do you think? <laughs> I in the right role, I think I could. You know, I think I've thought about it a couple times, like really seriously within the last five years. Um, but none of those jobs were like where I'd want to be, you know. I, I could probably work. I've thought about it like if a consultant wanted to increase, but I, I don't know. I got I like cutting wood too much to really want to <laughs> do that end of it. Like yeah. as as a like I don't know. I, so yeah. so Adam just joined us and we were just talking about that essentially we're a bunch of crooked trees who don't fit inside the mill machine and that's why we're <laughs> self-employed so you you had it both ways at some point you didn't fit inside the mill machine and now i guess you do what do you i mean how did you start working for yourself i mean you you didn't you you didn't initially you got out of the ranger school and you went to work for someone for a while yeah so i want to go fill fill in the gaps there i went to work for the forest service right out of school and i i very quickly realized that I was not a government employee. Um, so then, so then I went to work for a logger um, for kind of the same reason that Steve was just talking about. I just like to cut wood, and so um, you know I was in Montana and I wanted to cut wood in Montana. So I went to work for a logger, and then I went to work for after a year or two, I went to work for a helicopter logging company because you know regular logging wasn't enough cutting wood. So. I had to do <laughs> I had to do something different, but um. But at some point, Montana that, was not a challenge anymore, right? You had to go. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to go to other places that were cooler, so yeah, I went to. Actually, I really just wanted to do helicopter logging because it sounded really cool, and it just it was this idea that I got that I wanted to do, and then once I got that idea, I just started calling every helicopter logging place around, and they were. They were actually working in Idaho, so it was only about four hours from where I was in Montana. That lasted about a month, and then the next job that they had was in California. So I went to California for about two weeks and hated it, and um, they they needed people in Alaska, and they were like, hey, we, we could never get anybody to go to Alaska. What do you think about that? And after California, anything sounded good, so I went from California to Alaska after two weeks and they never did let you fly the helicopter did they <laughs> fly it no no i rode in it a lot but never got to fly it no no that was cool that was a that was an era when like there were still vietnam vets that you know i think at this point in time anyone who's a vietnam vet's probably retired and been retired for a while but a bunch of those pilots had flown chinooks in vietnam and they were some of them were really good it was crazy what those guys could do but um, yeah, and then just kind of had this idea. I was after a few years of that, I was sick of traveling, and so I had bought land. I I I made a lot of money working for that company, and never had a chance to spend it because I just worked all the time. And so I bought land in um, uh, it was West. What the hell was the name of that? It was in Oswegatchie. So um, 
Yeah, I had like 45 acres with a house that I bought in Oswegatchie. I had owned it for like a year and had been there for about a week. And I didn't so, realize uh, you had a place up. So, so how long did you stay up there? Well, not very long because yeah. I was I was working. You know, I was in either Alaska or the southeastern U.S. And so it was like somehow I got this this wild hair to decide, you know to go up there and cut my timber in in February. So I decided I was working in like Tennessee and for some reason wanted to go to northern New York and cut the timber on my land. And I'd, just to be clear, uh, the houses at that time in Ostrogachi, and I don't know about right now, but they were kind of affordable, right? My God, yeah. I should have never sold that place. I, it was uh, it was 45 acres with a house and I paid $55,000 for it. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> so I bought this, uh, this is a good story. So I bought this skitter online in uh, Maryland. Totally it's like sight unseen. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna buy a skitter and go cut my timber. So I bought this skitter on on eBay. <laughs> and I decided I would I would go get a trailer to tow it home to my house in northern New York. So I, I bought a gooseneck trailer and put the skitter on the gooseneck trailer behind my diesel pickup and towed it to northern New York. Except I got to Pennsylvania and blew all four tires on the trailer. Because the skitter weighed more than the trailer was weighted rated for. I bought a, it was a seven ton gooseneck trailer and I put my skitter on it and decided to tow it from Maryland to, to New York. You're you're laughing and smiling about it now, and that's great because I'm sure that day you, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't too fun. much fun. Yeah. No, and then it then it was like it was a snowstorm and I hadn't been to my house in since uh I think I went up there like at Christmas time. And then um, went back in February and, you know, there was like four feet of snow in my driveway and I plowed it all out with a skitter and then I cut the timber and I got like, I think I got like 30 grand for the timber and in the meantime bought the neighbor's timber and then another neighbor's timber and decided I wasn't going to go back to work and just kept doing that kind of snowball from there. That's what got you. But then you so. Could you not convince your wife to move up to St. Lawrence County, or she liked it there? Really, and probably, and probably would have stayed there. But um, I had a friend in Ontario County, and he convinced me to bring my skitter down there and partner with him and cut timber with him. So Western New York is a different world than Oswegatchie, but closer to where you grew up, right? And yeah. Yeah, and it sounded like a great idea at the time. I mean, he had all these uh, like walnut lots lined up, and so you know we were we were buying, well, we were cutting walnut for like months and months straight. All we cut was walnut. Yeah, and but crooked walnut, right? No, not really. Not in not in Ontario County. I just had a, I just had a lecture from Pat Sadler about walnut syrup, and he pronounces mm -hmm. syrup in an interesting way, but he. But but he said there's a lot of you know not great walnut out there as well or not what people picture sure. when, when they're yeah at that time though like they would buy we were selling it I think like in four foot increments down to ten inches or something ridiculous like that I mean basically it was if, if it was walnut they would buy it and it was a buck a foot so at minimum John Levy would you know a walnut tree if you saw it I don't know I I think we cut some planted stuff down in Poland once, but they weren't really much for logs. We chipped them. 
<laughs> yeah, so they, they definitely would. <laughs> you could have been selling them in four foot increments. So, so John, lately I have, and for a while, I guess I've had the impression, you know, you did what you were supposed to, maybe, and now you'd like to go the crooked tree route and and not work for the machine that's the family business. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Do the rest of them think you're the crooked one? I don't know what they think of me. I've given up. <laughs> I've decided I really don't care. I'm, I'm I'm me. You know, if you don't like me or don't want don't want who I am there, fine. You know, I'll, I'll exist. I might have to make some changes, but I'll exist. <laughs> I just can't be in the machine the rest of my life. I just can't. Wow, that is like. You know that's actually fit, fitting right in the mill perfectly. If you could do that, now you've done. I think. What are you? A year short, short of forty. Yeah, I've got one that. year to get forty years in. I, I want to get forty years in. It's. I don't know why the number's sticking in my head. It's like what's what's the difference? But I just kind of like to know that I, I stuck it out for a good forty years, anyways, and. Maybe it might go a little longer than that. I don't know. I'd be like playing 990 games and not sticking it out a little farther to do a thousand. So that that's you know, that nice, quite quite an achievement, really. I mean, I'll never reach my father's numbers. I mean, he's got 61 years now running his business, and he's still there. So your, your dad's the Gordy Howell of that. No one needs to. He, no one needs to reach reach his numbers. And even Let me when, pull a couple. Go ahead. Even when not actually an owner in another year or so when my nephew takes over his shares he's still going to be there you know until till he either he drops or he can't possibly move or whatever that's what he's going to do right yeah it's not even retirement it's just like time for the reins to be in somebody else's hands there maybe yeah when I, when i when i look at the i i really like the lyrics of this song because i think Clearly, she doesn't know a whole lot about this whole process, but she finds simple words to rhyme and fit in there. So this and, and, and this I struck on me the chickadee had told him of a darkness on the land, spinning blades that came to visit carried by a man. So that that's all pretty cool. But the funny thing to me is the chickadee. So. I was I was. Not that anyone listens when I talk about it here, but I was telling my family, I was like, the chickadee is kind of the sole proprietor out there. So if you think, so I'm watching them in a feeder and all the other birds come in a flock. And like I, this year, I've got goldfinches and I've got um, purple finches and they all mix right in. Like, you know, they elbow right up against one another and the chickadees come in singly and they just kind of flip down. They're not part of a group. There might be a couple, two chickadees there, but they didn't come together and they're not leaving together. They're, they don't you know and they don't scare together they're they're on their own and and they're kind of like these little small businesses so you go out in the woods and um you know at least like around where john and i where we are probably where you are too the woods really support them they're getting by on like hemlock and birch seeds so you know stand still in the woods and a chickadee's gonna gonna show up and there's one every acre or so maybe or maybe there's two but they're everywhere and they're not really interacting all that much but they just they get by, you know, so so I'm not sure I buy that the the trees are getting worn by the ch- chickadees, but it, you know makes for a good good line in the song. That's what he. I mean, you're so you know, Adam, you were a sole proprietor for a while. Uh, you are Jim, S- Steve. You got employees, I guess, but you're I mean you're the sole owner. 
Oh, I don't have any employees right now. Oh, so so I, I mean, myself. you can get by working for yourself. Yeah. Can you get ahead? I don't think so. I've been trying for ten years. <laughs> so I mean, is it is it just better than having a job? No, I well, I'm I'm really stubborn. Like I put my head to it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> it's yeah. like I make a lot of sacrifices to fail. <laughs> um, stubborn people here tonight, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think. <laughs> I think when I'm 50, if I don't get to where I want to be when I'm 50, I'll be one pissed off guy. But it's, it's you know, it's like what it, what it, yeah, I don't know. I don't give myself the option, you know. You get over it, right, John? Yeah, you get over it. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 Adam, you were by yourself until you partnered up. Yeah. Right? It was at the yeah, impetus to get to, to grow bigger. Yeah, the partnership only lasted for about six months. So, yeah, that was. When did you when did you get an employee? Um, not long after the partnership. So I I think uh, the partnership ended in I don't know maybe November. I started the whole thing in February, cut timber on Asugachi, and then by November I was on my own for about a month, and then um, a guy stopped by, just kind of pulled into the into the landing. I was I was bucking wood behind the skidder and. And uh, he was like, hey, I, you know, looking for work and I got a job right now as a welder and I work in a shop all day and I hate it and I want to work out in the woods. And so I hired the guy <laughs> and um, he actually worked for me from then until the very end. He was the last guy that last guy that I laid off. Yeah. Um, what, what part in what, what point in there were you with Woodwise? Right then I was on right on the first job that I cut for Woodwise. I see. Yep. You were uh, with them as an employee at some point as well, or or just yeah for about I don't know maybe eight months or something like okay. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dan Dan bought the equipment that I had loans on. Mm -hmm. and then I parked um, the equipment that was paid for, and I thought I'm gonna try working for somebody else for a little while. Didn't last too long. <laughs> I just went right back to it. Yeah, that would be a hard place to be a. Well, I, then again, Pat, Pat is there, and he is a yeah. fabric of one one kind or another. Jim, have you ever been tempted to have a partner or to hire anyone? No, no. It's just too. It's it's just one headache. I just don't really want. I mean, I learned that employees and people that you're the boss of when I worked in the construction field was nothing that I really wanted to deal with. You know, I it, you know, I was a I was a 20 <laughs> when I worked in the construction business, you know, building and rebate, building paper mills. I was 22 years old, 23 years old. And I was the boss of people that were old enough to be almost my grandfather. And, you know, there was a, there was a line there that you never crossed yeah. and you had to know where that line was, but you know, they, they respected you as long as you didn't think that you were better than them. It's, it's tough to be good at that, right. At that age and have, people older than you you know and, and there was some of them that thought well you're just a you know you're just a college educated idiot and that's why you have the job as the jobs went on you know they got to know you that you weren't you know you know you weren't there to be a boss you were there to be just part of the team and make things go smoothly and I, that went a long ways with 95 percent of them 
just like no i'm a regular idiot i'm not a special you know like i but i i know when i worked you know when i got out of college and i was working with people that hadn't gone to college it was almost like you wanted them to know you could do what they could you know that that right. you weren't afraid to work right they had to see you and that's really all you in. had to do is you, you, you know if there was something they they were doing i mean you know these guys were anywhere from welders to pipe fitters to you know to just general foreman you know general laborers and you know you just if you showed interest in what they were doing and if you hey if you, Hey, do you need a hand? I'll give you a hand. And that, that went a long ways. Even if they didn't need it, just asking the question, you know, showed them that, you know, you weren't just there to be a boss and, and think you were better than them. You were there not only to learn, but, you know, as, as a part of the team, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I learned that from a, one of the project superintendents and, you know, he's like, look at, be part of the team and not a team leader and you'll go a lot further. And that's a, you know, there's a lot of guys that think that, title being a superintendent or an assistant superintendent is a leader and that's what you have to do no matter what but you can be a leader and still be a a, a team player as i call it and and, mm -hmm. and really make a a better unit i mean uh, there were some jobs we were on you know we had 75 80 guys working under us you know just in our own company let alone subcontracting companies that were doing other things you know in a, in a tight time frame you know uh one of the mills, if we finished a project on time, you know, we were good. If we were late, it was, uh, it was $35,000 a day. Wow. But if we finished early, it was $20,000 a day bonus. And, you know, and the company was good. They would share that bonus with the employees if we got done early. So, you know, that really made a big difference when you were doing that. So, so, I mean, clearly you see the leverage in having employees. You can get a lot more done. Maybe there's, I mean, certainly there's more money to be made, but uh, I know where you're coming from. I don't have employees. I do work with subcontractors, and I'm embracing that more. Uh, if it's uh, something I can accomplish and make more money with subcontractors and gives me an opportunity to, people, to work with people that I enjoy working with, like I, mm -hmm. I know I can count on them, then that works. But I always have felt like if I add somebody, then I'm almost working for them. It's like my job is to make sure they have enough to do Right. Even, and then suddenly you're taking on projects you don't want to do just to keep them busy. I've had enough just I've taken jobs on just to keep a logger or two working who I like to work with and want them to be available when I need them for core things. So I I, I kind of see that. Yeah. Let me pull something out of the fifth verse of this. People say I'm different. My way of life seems strange. So, Steve, as you were you were telling me not long ago that there's not a whole lot of loggers around where you live i mean i know there's quite a few farmers yeah. do people do people understand what you do no no i you know there's landowners that own timber and have had timber cut and they still don't really know what you do i feel it's like yeah like the farther like yeah that's one reason i try not to work any farther south than like the town of chatham and columbia county you go <laughs> farther south you go it's just like the more more gentrified isn't it down that way yeah and out of touch chatham's really bad we're actively trying to kind of move out of this area just it's getting tough to really live here afford to live here but yeah though no, the people they're just out of touch with what like how the world around them works you know like yeah. they don't understand why the farmer's gotta spread the manures the days he's gotta spread it and they don't understand why you know your log truck has to go up and down the road and you know they don't understand why the trees need to get cut down you know yeah. it's just like why well, like i don't know it's just a 
it's it's hard to, to you jump the line in the Rensselaer County and it's like nobody even bats an eye it's just like oh yeah okay you know it's, I don't know it's a, I read something recently and it was like a, you should be able to explain what you do in one sentence and I'm not sure I can I could do that I do a collection of things we all do my mother-in-law doesn't have the slightest idea what I do and I don't think I can understand I can explain it to her I was like a year ago, I was out, or maybe well, it was sorry, longer than a year ago, because we were out to a bar, and I think it was before the pandemic really got nuts, but uh, I was with a group of friends, and they had some friends from out of town or whatever, and they, they asked what I did, so I was like, well, I'm a logger, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, what do you, what do you log, and I was like, trees, you know, like, what do you think I log, and they're like, oh, well, where do you do that, and I'm like, in the woods like <laughs> and they thought like i logged information into a computer like i was a data logger i was just like jesus christ like <laughs> you, can, you know i've told people i'm like getting a haircut or something and they they teach them to make small talk and they're like oh well forester i was like well what do you what did they do and you explain that and it's like well where do you go to do that there's not much of that around here like, yes well, I don't know. Have you driven outside? You know, have you driven around? I mean, there's, you know, there's trees everywhere. I mean, we're yeah. largely all over the Northeast. It's it's more timber than anything else, but not always good timber. A lot of a lot of crooked trees out there. So, yeah. <laughs> um, John. So you know, for you, like around town, don't you think a generation ago, more people here maybe could understand what you do? Absolutely. Do people, I mean, in your neighborhood understand what you do? Oh, uh, I think for the most part, yeah. Yeah. But I have older generation people here still. The the new people that have come here don't. But no, a lot of them don't. Um, you know, they come from different places with different ideas and different values and, you know, parts of the world that are changing faster than here. And then they bring those ideas here and they don't really want to understand and what's gone on here for a hundred and some years. Yeah, they, they think it's like, well, what's this is interrupting my retirement or things like that I, I won't even get going on that. But how, how about you, Adam? So you're in a, a, a state that I think has a lot of the forest products industry. You've lived a bunch of places. Do people get what goes on there? Or is, is your plant just like this big mill and they understand something comes in and something goes out? They know where it comes from? It's a lot more visible here. So I think a lot of people, a lot more people know what goes on because of that. Um, and there's, there's a lot of sawmills here. I mean, there's, we have uh, within a hundred mile radius, there's over 80 sawmills wow. from our, from our plant. Um, but depending on where you are in this in this state like where i live is 45 minutes from raleigh and that that city is just becoming it's the it's the tech hub of the of the east coast and a lot of people have no idea what you know they see a clear cut and they think it's a clearing for a development or something like that so it really depends on where you are here in eastern north carolina you know most people probably have work for a logger at some point in their life because mm -hmm. that's all that goes on there that's, that's so it really there. depends on where you are yeah. yeah yeah you can't miss the trucks on the road right 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 so right. they're everywhere i know when i traveled in the northwest you could pretty quickly see that in softwoods and doing clear cuts 
the regeneration was so remarkable and so fast that there mm-hmm. was, you know, you sh- anyone with their eyes open should be able to de- detect the pattern. Like, oh, they're cutting there, but then it grows right back. Is it some of that see. where you are? Or, I mean, the, uh, short rotations there. There. <clears throat> there was a clear cut down the road, maybe 10 minutes down the main road from my house. Uh, three years, three and a half years ago, when I moved here to this house, uh, they were cutting right when I was moving in. And my wife's on this uh, Chatham chat list. It's this like email chat list thing. And the pe- people were just freaking out about this clear cut because it was a it was a 150 acre clear cut right on the main road. And um, now the regen's about 15 feet tall. <laughs> and everyone's forgotten all about it. <laughs> but. The funny thing, we were just talking about this, actually Saturday night we went out and we drove past that and I was kind of laughing about it. And then about three miles down the road, they're, um, they've cleared about 40 acres. They're building like a shopping center and a grocery store and a Target and all this stuff. And nobody said a word nobody about that. Nobody cared about that. Yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, Does everybody in your family, you, you say, oh, look at the regen and they know what the word, re- they know regen is no. short for regeneration because. No, I don't think they've, so. They've gotten used to that in my family. <laughs> so, you know, the Southeast had made, made such a science of it that one, they don't really grow too many crooked trees and they cut them yeah. all down and grow them again. But in the hardwoods and you've worked in them and the rest of us work in them, I mean, you know, Molly's Tuttle is kind of right in, in terms of the history of what we did was to cut the good ones we could use, right? Yeah. You know what I didn't like about this, though? It's she made it seem like that was just normal practice, you know, like like poor silviculture yeah. is what we just that's what we do all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like well, it was the, almost the, like celebrated or, the, or or that. Yeah, I mean, clearly she doesn't fully understand it, but I'm not I'm not willing to be too critical because I wouldn't expect her. To understand yeah. it but but that yeah we don't just cut the best trees and make toothpicks out of them right i mean maybe that's a good use of some paper birch or i don't know if they make them out of yellow poplar but it seems like they they could but when we're cutting the best you know if you guys know i like to talk about the Pareto principle but if so if we go through and cut all the best and straight ones you know which is like adam probably what you could do when you had a chainsaw and cable skitter right you you know you're not cutting everything you're cutting a smaller volume but there's all these trees left right and what we left behind was well stocked um steve day you and i had this conversation just very recently this well stocked stand of maybe whether you want to call them crooked or less desirable species but then there's all this management there's all this opportunity there that's why i didn't have a cable skitter for very long (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people weren't lining up just to let you cut the good straight trees, were they? No, and I didn't want to either. Right, right. Well, I know, Steve, you don't want to. That's why you're cut to length, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, I yeah, there, there's cutting, cutting for quality, or if you're, if you're the guy that wants to cut, cut the quality timber, it's a short, I think your, your career's short, you know, um, yeah. it, or i I mean, I guess there's plenty of guys that's done it for a long time, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's just there's not a lot my, of uh, park the cable like, skitter and wait for the next good job to come around. Right. If you want to work full time, it's. Yeah. So, yeah. So so yeah. so, John, the Levy family pioneered cutting crooked trees in the Western Adirondacks, didn't they? Did We've done a lot of trees, chainsaw, cable skitter and putting up just pulpwood. 
I mean, yeah, you were the first to really make it possible to cut the bad trees, the trees that didn't get cut by hand. You had the first mechanized felling around here, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, from what I can remember, we around the early 80s, we, they started getting into some mechanized stuff all they, they could. Of course, in the 70s, they had those con harvesters for, for softwood, and they, that was like revolutionary. Yeah. Your family did? Yep. Oh, yep. Those my dad. Cool. Seen videos of those things. <laughs> his former partner and him got had two of them in the seventies. Bought <laughs> an awful lot of spruce and balsam with them. I mean, they made some money with them then. They, of course, they had a lot of stands of wood to pick from then too. Well, you you guys had the first chipper in this area, and maybe in the north north. So so, Lions Falls pulp and paper when when. Uh, Oil got to $36 a barrel or something like that. I think your dad was telling me they said, enough of this heating with oil. And they went out and, and, and got a wood boiler and came. And because you guys weren't a supplier, that's why they came to you, right? To, yeah. To, to start buying uh, hog fuel. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, Jim, in your practice, I mean, you're trying to grow straight trees, right? So what, is, what does it mean for the crooked ones? Well, I, if I have my way, they all go first. Yeah, I actually, and it's funny we're talking about this right now because I just took a job. It's a, a friend of mine's friend who, you know, wanted some forestry work done on a, about a forty-five acre woodlot, and you know we walked through it, and he liked what we what I had to say and what was going to get cut, and then he, you know, he's he comes to me about three days later. He goes, I think we're just going to focus on the log trees, and I'm just going to leave the rest of them there because, you know, there's just not enough money to be made in the low grade. And I spent easily 45 minutes that day and another day when I was over there marking timber. He walked with me when I marked the woodlot because he just wanted to make sure that I wasn't marking the low-grade trees. And I and I tried to explain to him, I mean, the woodlot is loaded with 10, 8 to actually 8 to probably 14 to 16-inch hard maple stems that are just 40 to 60 feet tall and beautiful canopy just with some beech and some low-grade hickory and some you know, some black birch growing in amongst it that just should go and just release right. that canopy a little bit. And, you know, and he's like, well, I'm 70 years old. I'll probably never see it cut. And I'm like, look, you get 15 years on some of this. You're going to really yeah. see a good return if that. And he just won't go for it. Uh, He'd rather cut a 14 inch maple tree that's got, you know, right now and, yeah. and then cut a five or six trees around it to let it grow. You know, to me, you can't be too critical of the earlier era when there was no way to get rid of the low-grade wood. There just right. was, you know, everything was cut. You know, when I, when I first started working, we were cutting in places that had never been cut with a skidder. They'd only been cut with track machines. And even at that, you know, so they cut the better wood. We came in, we were still cutting the better wood, because, but 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 the, the definition of better wood shifted over time, right? You know, suddenly right. it's like if it's not at all straight and perfect or species, you know, we were cutting hard maple just as the value took off. And, you know, you go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, and you look at the historic price patterns, and, you know, there was nothing special there. Nope. You know, they weren't paying very much for it. But but now, there's no reason not to cut. No, it, it's, you, you know. know maybe, it's, maybe in some local situations, but. but no, he, I mean, you know, his reasoning is just not, you know, that's what, you know, his friend that was with us one of the days we were marking, and that, you know, the guy that got me the job, and he's like, his name's Tom. He's like, Tom, why are, why are you leaving that? It, it, look at that thing. It, it's, it's never going to be anything. Yeah. You, you know, you, and he was like, look at there's, there's 
there's 10 oak trees right there that are all 12 to 14 inch that are just thriving and starving for for light and energy and you just wouldn't you yeah. just you just couldn't in get the them 90s, to do it. in the 90s mart allen and i marked a timber sale for Nehru. and john you were neighbors you know Rennie. and yeah. uh we're in there and he had a partner and it was a cherry lot down in forestport and we were looking it over and we're looking at some of that smaller nice cherry that was there and we said well what do you want us to do here because these really shouldn't be caught you know in 10 years and he cut us off he said 10 years i'd be dead and about eight years later he died so you know maybe he wasn't wrong for him right but you know we all get to work with people who are our age or younger are gonna be around to see that that next return i think it's really frustrating though when you do a good job and leave crop trees and about five years later they're calling or seven years they're saying 15 years ago you is it time to cut people are calling me to cut this or the next thing you know somebody's pulled in there and they're <clears throat> prematurely harvesting crop trees i see that Adam, when you, you went to go ahead john i see that a lot in lots that we do you have people that you know they've owned land a while and they just decide i want all the money I can get out of it, and I don't care about what happens later. You know, that it's been in my family this long, or I've paid down it this long, and I want the money, and I don't. It's better to, to just clear cut it at that point, though. It, it, almost depending on where you are, unless you're in the Adirondacks, obviously, but it's, it's sometimes it's heartbreaking for me. I mean, I, I get, <laughs> I, but we're not helping the future. Of course, I have family members that could care less. They really don't. They care about now, and that's all they care about. We got to take care of now and take care of ourselves, and who cares about the future? And I'm like, yeah, you can use that route, and I get that it's difficult now, but we should be taking care of the future too, you know. But yeah. I don't know. I can't argue with them. I try to push the 4EA on people that, like, a lot of times I see them where they're like, they're kind of towing the line between like they want to manage their woods, but you almost can tell that. They can't quite afford the the land, and they're gonna do something dumb in about five years or ten years. And it's like <laughs> you get them in the four ADA, and at least they may be pissed at you for putting them in the program. But then it's like at least you know the timber isn't gonna get mismanaged uh, down the road. Yeah, the, the the tax savings that or current use in Vermont are just you know I don't tend to think the smaller acreages it makes sense depending on their plans for the property, but the bigger ones where it can be overwhelming taxes, it can force you you know, to want to sell or make short-term decisions. I want to, I want to ask Adam, when you went to cut to length and, and there weren't many people doing that in the part of the world you were in there, was that in part because you, you're not always going to cut big saw logs or they're harder to get, or I, I know you had maybe a softwood niche there, but what, what spurred that decision? I think it was a combination of things. One, it was that um i wanted i wanted to do more with less labor and you know cut length is a great great way to do that so you know i went from five employees to two and you know that was a benefit at that time although i ended up with a whole lot more later on but um i wanted to get off the ground you know the the whole i i tried i tried um I tried. I, I did a short stint with uh, semi-mechanized, where we had uh, 
bell feller buncher and a couple grapple skitters and a loader with a slasher um but there was still people on the ground cutting you know topping trees and stuff mm -hmm. like that and so to me it was just and it was kind of an opportunity at the time too um a guy was wanting to retire and i bought his equipment and it, it was cut to length equipment so it was a combination of a lot of things but yeah really wanting to be able to even at the time with the semi-mechanized i was trying to find kind of a niche with um you know cutting and utilizing low grade and being able to do the type of work that you know i thought was the right kind of work to be doing um, so, you know not focusing on big saw log trees so so let me let me flip this whole theme to talk about employees a little bit so so I know you're good with equipment. You're good at organizing jobs. If you could get ideal employees, does everything work really well? Does the system work well? Sure. Yeah. If they, they, they've, you got, but, but the labor force we're drawing from doesn't fit inside the the mill machine here all that well. Sometimes. No, not at it? all. No, the best but, ones are the the ones that don't fit in a lot of other places. Yeah, that, and I mean really, that's who's available too, though. Sort of um, to some yeah, extent. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, the best guys I had were ones that, you know, had tried self-employment for a little bit and figured out it wasn't for them. Um, you know, or maybe they were, I had a couple guys that were, you know, grew up as dairy farmers and, you know, that didn't really play out too well as a career for them. And so they were all kind of misfits in some ways. And those were the best ones. It's It seems like that, that um, the dairy farms have supplied some pretty good woodworkers. If, if you, oh, yeah. If you grew up on that, you had the work ethic, and maybe there wasn't room for you, and because small dairy farms are, I guess, not much of a thing anymore. It's hard yeah. to, yeah. It's hard to make any. You know, you can feel good about logging, I guess, if you when you start looking at, at dairy yeah. farms. They're pretty the resourceful cruise, too. The the crews you're working with, what what can you tell us about about them? I mean, I are mixed bag you've got some that are really organized I, and go to and are bigger and pretty much a mixed bag i've got a couple of crews that you know are one or two guys hand cutting cable skitter or a small grapple um you know i just started working with a kid he's well, he's 30 i say a kid he's 35 36 years old so you know he's he's a, in that younger generation that you don't see a lot uh you know of loggers in and, uh, you know, he's got a little, he's got a 540 grapple and cuts by hand and loves what he does. He does a really nice job in the woods and he's perfect for those, you know, 20, 30, 40 acre lots that, you know, it's just not quite big enough for that mechanized crew to move in and do a thinning or something like that. And he, and he loves it. He's got a little firewood business. He does. So I say little, he did 650 quarter cut split and delivered wood last year. So by himself. So, you he, know, he can't get too far ahead of you either. Right. If you can't get there. Right. And, 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 you know, those are nice for those little lots because he just, you know, he, I, I know that, you know, every, if I can get there once a week and just do a check-in, it's, you know, he's going to be on track. And then, you know, I've used Gabe in the past here two or three years quite a bit. And, you know, that cut to length is, is perfect for, especially if it's a lot of low grade, right diameter and, you know, in terrain, you know, that's the only other issue with that equipment is you got to have that right, you know, right terrain for the forwarder really it's not so much the cutter as it is the forwarder the forwarder's got to be able to make time and time is money and as you know some of this ground in this area is not developed for time <laughs> right right yeah long cycle times can can undo that that system but, john all all due respect to your your family crew 
I, I couldn't possibly like wait, go a week between visits and, and, and think you're not going to have, think things aren't going to be a whole lot different. Right. I mean, uh, your brother can put a lot of wood on the ground a week's time. Oh, he sure can. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. No. And you, I mean, because you're, because you're low grade specialty, you need to do a pretty good volume to make it all. I mean, to justify the level of investment that that uh, your brothers and your dad have in this equipment, you got to make yeah. a lot of yeah. I'm pretty worried about this spring farm. We've we did. I thought we did pretty well this winter. I mean, you always want to do better, but um, we produced pretty well, and they're facing some pretty tough bills this spring. I mean. I, my estimate, if they if they want to fix everything, I mean, you're looking at probably a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in bills just to repair stuff that, you know. And now you got fuel at six bucks a gallon. I keep saying, is this worth it? You know, my nephew sees it. He's like, I don't. He had an argument with his father in this past week. He said, I don't know why we're doing this logging. He says because we're just going backwards. Well, and you and 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 just to to clarify, you guys have other things you can do, right? There, there's tree we work, do. excavation, and and so we on. do. We have multiple things that that actually make money. Um, you know, when that's the point of being in business, as we've been talking about in this class, is being in business is to make money. It's not just to work. Right? You know, you you got and, and because you do know how to produce and and get a lot done. I know why you did away with the sawmill years ago, but was there ever talk about having that again as a, and for a whole different clientele now that's out there? They haven't. I mean, there, there's been scuttlebutt once in a while. You know, you know, we should have a mill again or something. Or My father once said, well, if, if I could just set the mill up in the backyard, your mother and I could make a lot of money. And he said this like 10 years ago. I was like, okay, yeah, that, I could see that working out really well. <laughs> they would just want yeah, as long as long as Dan came by and saw a load every morning before he came, yeah, in, right. Oh, noise, like whatever. That's, that's yeah. I mean, I can see it in this area. I've been talking to quite a few guys, and even some of the ones that are working for me. You know, the the fuel cost, the parts, the replacement. You know, the 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 equipment repair bills are just getting to be astronomical. And I mean, one of the guys um, that does some work, he's been in the business for you know, like John, 40 plus years and, you know, he, everything he has is paid for. And he's like, you know what? I don't even know why I'm turning wheels right now. I'm not getting ahead. I'm better off to park what I have and just wait till things change. I heard more stories this year, even before fuel spiked of uh, people saying, well, there's no point in cutting if I can't get the wood trucked. Mm -hmm. uh, I did see within the last few days uh, from one of the paper mills in Maine, they're going to start paying a surcharge on, on, fuel for depending on their zones uh, which uh, which is i guess in somebody's mind different than raising the price but it you know it amounts to the same thing but yeah that's um you know unless we see delivered wood prices move with fuel uh i did just i with my logger peer group that's based out of vermont i wrote a short little app to just calculate you know for every increase in fuel prices, what does that mean for the cost of producing, you know, per ton, per thousand board feet, and so on? So, if anybody wants that, I'll I think I may have sent it to a couple of you to have a look at. Yeah, I, but, I think uh, you know the guys in this area that seem to be still 
doing okay are the guys, you know, those smaller guys. They don't burn a lot of fuel. They don't, you know, they don't have a huge expense. You know, they don't have a lot of equipment. And they seem to be weathering this storm a little better. Uh, their issue is just, you know, the trucking end of things, I think, is the, the biggest issue for those guys. The guys that got trucks are just super busy. Steve, do you fall into that niche of that that you were telling me about your forwarder and its fuel efficiency? you fall into that niche of being the the right size to weather the storm here? Well, sort of. Yeah, I, I, I've I been for the last couple of days and I've used your app and I, but I actually looked at my fuel card and it's went up more than I thought it did. So I got to do that again. <laughs> Can't keep was, track of those. My last 500 <laughs> gallons I got on uh, Wednesday last week was 466 a gallon. Um, I thought it was only 430. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think I'm going to park my, my processor this spring well once this job's done i got a week to go and i'm done where i'm at and then i think i'm going to park that till like july when i have a job that i sort of supposed to start then where i'll definitely need it but um and just change the wood i'm going to cut a little bit this spring um because it's like i you know just trying to weigh like sure that thing when it goes it goes right you produce a lot of wood but it's like well the i don't think the return's quite there with the fuel as high as the fuel price is you know yeah. like i can just cut a little less wood you know my forwarder gets i mean i can run that thing pretty aggressively and burn 15 gallons in a day you know and you know if i'm picking up hand cut wood you know i'm it's a it's a long hard day to hand cut enough to keep that busy the next day but like i don't know i think it almost you know, I end up in a position where I end up just making my payments, doing it that way. But it's like, I don't know. I think it almost. Well, ends you can up weather the storm with a debt service. That's kind of the determining factor when it, whether or not it makes sense to to park things. Yeah. Well, look, we're we're an hour into this, so I want to just quickly go around. Tell me if you like the song and if you're a crooked tree or a straight tree, Jim. What what do you say? <laughs> I did like the song, and I would say I'm just a bent tree. I'm not crooked, and but I'm not straight. So, <laughs> or which you would, which you would rather be? How about you, John? Which would you rather be? I'm a crooked tree. And you haven't listened to the song yet, right? I haven't listened to it, but I've read the I read the lyrics. She is she is playing in uh, South Burlington in a in a few weeks. Here, I might I might go to that show. Adam, what about you? I I thought it was good music. The, the lyrics that. You know, have mixed feelings about, but good yeah. music. And yeah. Um, yeah, definitely not a straight tree. I think you are a crooked one that started to grow, like you know the phototropisms. You started to point straight up. And <laughs> I just, I just, I just found a mill that can saw crooked trees. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Steve? Uh, I think I'm a crooked tree. <laughs> what about the song? I know you're a big Bonnie Raitt man, but the song. <laughs> yeah. is no, it's all right. I don't. Um, I'll listen to it a couple. If it pops up in my playlist, I won't skip it. <laughs> well, well, let me just say I liked the song and it caught my attention. And I was like, okay. And I started to search for meaning in it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll share it with more people and see what they think. John, as I as I drove down the summit today on my way back home, and I looked up at that bony steep ground, I thought I'd rather be a, a tall straight tree on the ground where no one could get to it. <laughs> yeah. because there's a few of those up there uh. all right 
And that's all for the Northern Logger podcast. Thanks to Steve Bick and thanks to all of our listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for more information about the Vermont Forest Business School program. You can find more information about our magazine on our website at northernlogger.com backslash magazine hyphen preview. Until next time.